Um, have you ever been sitting somewhere and somebody came up to you and just started talking to you and they're like, oh, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. And then you're sitting there going, I have no clue who that is. Raise your hand if you've been there. Been there? Done that? All right, awesome, because that happened again this week, okay? I was at Red Rambler, and I was sitting there and, um, talking to a few people, and, and this gentleman came up. He had a couple of coffees in his hands, and he looked at me and said, Rex, boy, it's been a long time. Good to see you. And he sort of went on a little bit more, and I'm looking at him just smiling. He goes, you don't remember me, do you? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And he goes, Oh, man, I used to come over to your house when you were a youth pastor, and, and you know, we would hang out, and, and uh, I'm sitting there going, that's like 20 years ago. And, we're, you know, I'm thinking, there's a reason why I can't remember, okay? It's called what? Old age, yeah. I, 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 it's not coming out of my lips, okay? I'm okay with you saying it. It ain't coming out of my lips, okay? But as I sat there, I, I looked at him, and he had changed so much. Okay, last time I saw him, according to him, was 20 years. He was a teenager, okay? Probably a junior hire. And now he's this grown man, full beard, mustache, and, you know, he had camouflage on and all. You know, it's like, it's like I know he had changed so much. His identity really was different, although he's probably the same on the inside for the most part. His outside had completely changed. He had a new identity, in my opinion, Okay. And it made me think about what we've been preaching on this, our identity in Christ. See, we used to be a certain way. We looked a certain way. We acted a certain way. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, everything changes. We have a new identity. We should be looking different, talking different. And it just made me think about that. It's like, yeah, that's sort of like that guy. He's changed. My question is, if I were to see you a month from now, let's say I don't see you for a month, has my identity changed at all spiritually? Am I? Hey, don't answer that yet. But as, uh, have I, do I look any more Christ-like than what I did before? Or am I not so much Christ-like? Has my identity changed? Something to think about. You know, a few weeks ago we looked at John the Baptist, how he prepared the way for Jesus. And he preached that what? You needed to repent. You need to turn away from your sins, and when you repent, you're turning away from one thing and you're turning to another. So from my sins, I'm turning to God. That's what John the Baptist was preaching. And in the Greek, the word is pistuo, okay? Let's, 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 let's hear this Greek from you all this morning, okay? Pistuo, okay? Let's hear me say it. One, two, three. Pistuo. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Pistuo. You're speaking Greek. Good job. It's a written language, but you spoke it this morning, Okay? And that means to be true, to place your confidence in, to entrust yourself to. It means God or Jesus is going to come and help you in a way you can't be helped. That is the word for believe. You're going you're to hear that word again in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever pastool believes. Okay? You're going to hear it again in Acts 2, 38, when Peter said, Repent of your sins, turn to God. And then in verse 44, he goes on to say, that all those who believe, pastuel. Acts 10, 43, 44, it says, everyone who believes, that's pastuel again, in him will have their sins forgiven and through his name. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it was Jesus himself. Yeah, I've been telling you what, you know, Peter and what Paul said and Jesus said, Mark 1, 15. This is how he started his ministry, Okay. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we, we find Jesus beginning his ministry by preaching, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is hand. Repent 
and pastul, believe, believe in the gospel. That command to repent, turn from sins and believe in what God requires of us, that's a response to hearing the good news. When you hear good news, there should be a response. And the response is, I believe. I'm entrusting myself in this. I'm going to allow Jesus or God to do something, enable something that I can't do myself. That is believe. Repentance and believing, faith, that's what marks out those of us who call ourselves Christians, right? A Christian is one who is going to turn away from their sin, and they're going to trust, they're going to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, anybody ever hear the story of Charles Blondin? Now, if I throw that name out there, Charles Blondin, who's Charles Blondin? Back many, many years ago, Charles Blondin used to, he was a famous tightrope walker. I know you've heard this story before because it gets changed a lot, okay? And he tightrope walked across everything, and finally one time he's going to go across Niagara Falls. He was going across Niagara Falls all the time, doing it constantly. He got out there, and sometimes as he's going across Niagara Falls on this rope, he would sometimes do a trick or something to just really impress people. Take a wheelbarrow across, take a wheelbarrow with bricks in it, you know. He did all kinds of things. It was amazing. I'll tell you, one time I was telling this story at a camp, and a little girl came up to me after, afterwards, and she goes, I know who Charles Blondin is. And I said, really? He's my great-great-grandpa. I was like, wow. Did I tell the story right? <laughs> she goes, good job. Okay, good. Whew. Sort of made me nervous. But the story goes is that he went back and forth and sort of moved around on the wire one time, and the reporters were out there. They thought it was pretty awesome. And uh, he said, how many of you believe that I could put you, you know, a person in this wheelbarrow now and take the wheelbarrow across with a person in it. Well, all these reporters raised their hands. You can do it. You can do it. And he said, who'll be the first to get in the wheelbarrow? Nobody got in. That's not pastool. That's not belief. That's not faith. Faith is, I believe what you're saying, and I'm all in. I'm hopping in that wheelbarrow. That's belief. Because there's a lot of Christians like, oh, I believe it. I believe it. Not hopping in the wheelbarrow, but I believe it. And Jesus is saying, you need to be hopping in. You need to be just not saying, I believe with your lips, but with your actions as well. That's our first victory. Let me hear you say victory. victory. Look at the person next to you. Give them a high five. Say victory. victory. Yes. Uh, sometimes we do that at ball games, right? Uh, you know, some of you are watching the ball games at home, and you didn't just high five. You were jumping up and down, throwing popcorn pizza at people. You were having a blast, right? Okay. Then we come to church, and we have the most incredible thing to celebrate, and we're like, praise God. Okay. It's okay. Slap somebody high five. Say victory. Yes. Okay. See, first it was Jesus defeating sin and death. Amen. Amen by, means yes, by the way, so be it, okay? So when you're just agreeing with me, thank you, okay? It's, it's believing that this is true. This is victory. Jesus Christ first defeated death and sin. That was the first victory, okay? We won. Let me hear you say we won. We won, we won okay? Because that first, yeah, there's a woo, because that first victory, right? That's a great thing. But again, we're not done. The message has been on the front of the bulletin, and it's been out there before. We won. We're not done. Okay, one not done. Let me ask you this, because there's more to this, and I want you to get it today, okay? We, we're, we've gotten down that first part. We won. Victory in Jesus through um, his victory over death and sin, and then our placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we believe. That's first victory, okay? But we're not done. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about today, how we're not done. Okay. I want you to think about this. Have you ever broken a promise? Don't answer that out loud. Okay. I bet if, uh, if I were to ask you that, say it out loud or to stand up, you know, if I say, hey, stand up, you've broken a promise, I'm going to guess 99.9% of us would stand, and that other 0.01% that didn't stand was a liar. Okay. So we've all broken promises, right? Um, would you agree it's hard to keep promises? Yeah. Even as a Christian, even as a Christian, we don't always keep our promises. That's just sort of the way it goes. And why is that? It's because we're promise breakers. It's because we still live in a world of sin, and we still have sin in our lives. See, we follow Christ, but we are not Jesus Christ, okay? And the thing is, when you walk around in this world as a Christian, people expect you to be Jesus Christ. So when you break a promise, they let you know, don't they? Oh, I thought you were a Christian. That's the frustrating part is when people say, I thought you were a Christian. As if Christianity makes you perfect. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you right now, first of all, you're not perfect. Okay? You are new. You are changed. Not perfect, but everybody else around expects you to be perfect, right? You shouldn't be breaking promises. You're a Christian, right? Trust me. I, uh, I try not to break promises. I try not to sin. I, you know, and I want to be victorious in Christ. But unfortunately, I still sin. So when people look at us and they expect you to be perfect, you know, I'm not, I'm not. But we can't settle for saying this. I, I say this too. Well, I'm not perfect, right? Because we say that. Maybe we can change that phrase around. Instead, we say, I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm still working on this. I'm still working on this, which means I'm still in the process of growing. I'm still trying to make the effort to live like Jesus. You know, I will never be him, but he is with me, so I can find victory. I'm just not done yet, okay? I'm not done. We can't keep our promises, but guess what? We serve a God who does keep his promises. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians, okay? Grab your Bibles. 2 Corinthians, that's in the New Testament past, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you need a Bible... We have them in the back. Just raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. 2 Corinthians. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And then you're going to be at 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, if you're a highlighter, an underliner, get your pen ready because this is a good verse. You might want to. Take note on a few things in this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Him. This is why we say amen when we give glory to God through Christ. All of God's promises have been fulfilled. Wouldn't it be nice that when a problem comes along, we can open up a can of solution immediately? Like, oh, I've got a problem in my life. Solution, ah, it's all good. Wouldn't that be awesome? It doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't happen that way. Sometimes when problems come, the answer doesn't come immediately. We're trying to open that jar, but it won't open right. <laughs> I wish that solution would come quick and we can't get it, right? But here's the deal. God gives us promises, and those promises give us confidence that it's going to be okay until the solution arrives. The solution is there. It's just not there yet. And God's promises come alongside us when we're having problems. His promises come along when we're struggling that allows us then to, to walk in faith, to walk with confidence and saying, you know what, I've got a problem right now. 
I don't know how to handle this, but God's promises have all been fulfilled in Him. So it's going to be okay. I don't know when, but it's going to be okay. It might be tomorrow. It might be today. It might be a year from now or longer. That's the wonderful thing, is that God is a God of keeping His promises. As much as I break my promises, there's one who doesn't, and that is God. Amen? He keeps His promises. All of His promises are yes. Do you promise? Yes. God, do you promise to? Yes. How do I know that? Because they're written right in here for me. So when I look and there's a promise in there, can I trust that promise? Yes. Absolutely. We break our promises to our spouses, to our kids, friends, family members, our boss. God isn't like that, right? He keeps them. He delivers them all. And each promise God ever makes is true and trustworthy. That's good. Thanks to sin, though, we don't keep our promises. Give some examples. Police. They are to enforce the law, right? Have police ever been corrupt? Yeah. They ever maybe broke the promise? Yeah. I can't pick on the police alone. Let's pick on pastors, right? Pastors, uh, you know, we want to be great shepherds and we make, we make promises. We want to help people. Do we break our promises at times and not do what we need to do? Yes. Yeah. How about coaches? Oh, he promised my kid playing time. I didn't get playing time. They break promises? Yeah. I don't care what profession, who you are. Promises get broke. But God doesn't have anything to do with that. See, we blame God when people break their promises. Was that God's fault? No. But we blame God. They broke their promise. I'm so mad at God right now. Why? God didn't break his promises. Mankind breaks promises. Wrapped up in sin. God never breaks promises. So when you get mad at God, I hope it's not over a broken promise because that's not him. We can praise and trust God's promises, and that's why he says, our amen, let me hear you say amen, amen. means yes. Let me hear you say yes. yes. And that ascends to God for his glory. So when we're agreeing with God, God, you are a promise maker, and you keep those promises, and I love it. Amen, yes. We get excited about that. He wants us to believe and trust his promises. So we, we, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that pastool, and we place our faith, then we act on his promises, that's when you see results. Unbelief stifles God's promises. And you may remember, I think it was a year ago, maybe not quite a year ago, I was up here preaching, and I was preaching from Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, and it says this, and because of their unbelief, the people's unbelief, Jesus was teaching, okay, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to heal a couple people. And he was amazed at their unbelief. People's unbelief stifled God's work. And when we stop believing, we don't trust God's promises, you're not going to see God working because we stifle his work. God's promises are not a matter of, by the way, if, they're a matter of when. Sometimes God's promises don't come immediately. Sometimes they do come. But we must keep our faith and trust Him in those quiet moments. Because we have God's promises, we can act in faith. When you have faith or hope in God, you act. So let me back it up from the beginning of this message. Okay, let me pull you in here, okay? Let me hear you say repent. 
When I repent, when I turn from my sins and turn to God and I place my faith, my pastool in Him, okay, and I'm entrusting Him because He is a God who doesn't break promises, and I start to act on His promises, I am now acting out that part of not done. Repent, turn to God, I place my faith in Him because we have won, but I'm not done. I'm now going to trust His promises and I'm going to act on those promises. Now, if I'm an athlete... I have to practice, right? Uh, how many uh, junior high, high school kids in here athletes? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Matter of fact, stand up. Do me a favor, stand up. Oh, they're just waiting for this. Yes. I saw the eyes roll. Okay. So all athletes, all involved in a sport. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for standing. Stay standing. Let me ask you this. Do you practice? Yes or no? I want to hear you all chime in with me. You guys are like, I'm not coming to church next week. Okay. Do you have to practice? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. Do you love practicing? <laughs> no, okay, hold on me. I, I appreciate that. That's honesty right there. Okay. Does practice matter in your sport? Yes or no? Yes. So you have to practice, whether your attitude is liking practice or not, you still have to practice, okay? Because you need to be prepared. How many of you love playing your sport when you're prepared? Raise your hand. Do you like playing your sport when you're prepared? Okay. Any of you go into your sport, no, don't raise your hand on this one. Any of you go into your sport unprepared, you walk away saying, oh, I should have practiced this, right? You don't feel good about it afterwards, right? So you practice because you've got to prepare because you're going to step on the field of competition. That all has to happen before you ever succeed, right? Did any of you ever win a game without practicing, preparing, or competing? Did you just like show up at the school one day like, hey, you won. <laughs> Sweet, I didn't do anything. Does that ever happen, yes or no? No. Okay, thanks. You can have a seat. All right. Okay. Artists, musicians, okay? Let me talk to you now real quick, and some of you are the same people. Some of you are different, okay? I'm not going to have you stand, but I want you to think about this, especially if you're an artist, okay? Do you practice before I'm going I'm to create something beautiful, do you maybe practice and doodle and do different things? Yeah. You probably do some preparation there. You prepare your canvas. You pick out your tools. What are you going to use? What kind of artistic tool are you going to use on your canvas? What kind of brush? What kind of chalk? What are you going to use? And then you begin to create. Did you ever walk into a room, for those of you that are artists, walk into a room and say, I'm going to, oh, there it is, I'm done. No. There's practice, there's preparation, there was work. There's things that had to happen. If I'm a warrior, if I'm in the army, in armed forces, I would prepare. I would put on my uniform. I would pick up my weapon before I go to win a war. Are you following me on all this? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I have to practice. I have to prepare. I have to pick up my tools just as an athlete, an artist, or a soldier would pick up their tools to go into battle. I pick up my weapon. I prepare my knees by praying, and I act on God's promises. We find our promises where? Through Jesus, right? And in His Word, Think about this. If you were to ask this question, if you were to leave this place right now and say, who's going with me besides your family members? If you drove here alone today and you walked in, you're walking out, let me ask you this. Ask this question. Who's with me as I'm walking out? 
Most of us say, no, but I'm walking out by myself. Let's change that answer from now on. Every time you walk somewhere, every time you travel somewhere, I want you to understand this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've repented, you've turned from your sins, you've turned to God, you've placed your faith in Him, you've pursued, okay, you've been trusted Him, guess what? You now walk with Jesus Christ. Anywhere you walk, you've got Jesus Christ walking with you, okay? His Spirit lives in you. Our Lord is victorious and mighty. He lives in us. He won, and that victor is living in us, so you are also victorious, even though sometimes you don't feel that way, right? Think of all that Jesus is. Peace, hope, love, right? We'd we see all that. He's come to give us all those things. And He's in us. He's what we need. Sometimes we get on our knees and we say what? God, give me peace. Give me strength to get through this moment. I've been praying that prayer. You know what? He is peace. He is love. He is strength. We're praying for these things to come, and it's Jesus who is all those things. So when you're praying for peace, just pray for Jesus. He's with you. He is your peace. He is your strength. I don't need to ask for things, you know, take away my fear, take away my comfort. No, He is my courage. He is my strength. He is my comfort. When you deal with junk, broken promises, you know, burnout, hurt relationships, death, loss, pain, whatever it is you're dealing with, okay, you get to the point where you say, I can't do this anymore. Exactly. Exactly. You can't. Jesus can. That's why he's with you. Turn with me to Romans 5.10. If you're in 2 Corinthians, you're just going to go back uh, two books towards the front again, okay? Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Romans 5.10 says this, For since our friendship with God, I want you to think about this, okay? We were created to have this incredible relationship with God. We have a friendship with God. God of this universe, that's pretty awesome, okay? For since our friendship with God, and it was broken because of sin, okay? But check it out, was restored. We now have that new friendship, that relationship back with God again, was restored by the death of His Son, Jesus Christ on the cross, okay? While we were still His enemies, while we were messing up and we didn't care about God and we didn't know who Jesus Christ was and we didn't know anything about the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and it's like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Christ died for us. God says, I want this relationship restored. I want to have a relationship with you, so I'm going to send my Son while I'm still an enemy with you to restore it. And it's through death on the cross of Jesus Christ. Look with the rest of it. We will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. Saved through the life of His Son, through Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. See, God made no provision for us to live the Christian life. Okay? The Christian life is Jesus Christ in you. It isn't like, well, if I pick up all these tools, I can live for Jesus. No, you can't. You can only live for Jesus when Jesus is living with you. Jesus Christ in you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we say that, we are in Christ. Christ is in us. We don't get it. If that truth were to really just go off like a light bulb inside, it's like Christ in me. Read through scriptures. How many times do you find that? You'll be amazed throughout the whole New Testament. Jesus Christ is the Christian life. It's not me acting like Jesus. Okay? It's me yielding to the presence, the living presence of His Spirit in me. 
That's the Christian life. You know, a little preschool girl was at the doctor's office one time, and she was sitting in the doctor's office, and the doctor came out, and, and um, he got out that little uh, stethoscope. He put up on the girl's heart, and he's, you know, he's like just being really fun with her, and he's like, oh, what is that I hear? Is that Donald Duck I hear in there? Is that Barney I hear in there? And this little preschool girl, she's like, no, it's not. Jesus is in my heart, and Barney's on my underwear. Okay? <laughs> Love it, right? Even a little child can understand Jesus comes into your heart, right? That's what Jesus was talking about when he made this promise. He said this in, in the book of John, I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor to be with you, the spirit of truth, God's spirit, right in you. Jesus went on to say, the world can't accept him because they don't see him, they don't know him, but you know him, for he lives in you. Did you hear that? He lives in you, and you will be in him, and I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. This is Jesus talking. Isn't that amazing? My trying, my actions, my striving to live that Christian life, and my efforts, is frustrating at times. Because Why? Because I still have that sinful nature thing battle going on, right? So my own nature, I can't do that. My efforts, I can't do that. But Jesus in me, yes, we can. We can. Turn with me now back to 2 Corinthians. We're going to go to chapter 4 this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's a verse you probably hear often, and, and it's, a, it's a great verse, but a lot of times we forget the last verse of this section. We're going to start in verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 8. In verse 8 it says, We are pressed on every side by our troubles, but we're not crushed or broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We're hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and we keep going. That's usually where we stop with that, right? But look at verse 10, please. Through suffering. These bodies of ours are constantly sharing in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be seen in our bodies. Through suffering. Anybody suffer this week? Be honest with me. I got my hand up. Okay, I got rotten news about my dad this week, okay? So my hand's up. Some of you went to a, to a funeral this week, right? How many suffered? I only saw like three hands. Only three people suffered? Let's be honest. Thank you. Through our suffering, listen to this, through our suffering, our bodies share in the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ suffered for us. But you hear what Paul says next? So that... When we go through this, we are related to Jesus Christ in that suffering so that the life of Jesus may be alive in us as well. So when we suffer, people see Jesus in us in how we respond. The life of Jesus in our body. Jesus is the Christian life. And listen, I'm not trying to impress or imitate him because I can't do it. I can't make everyone happy. Right? You know, I can't please everyone. I can't please my wife, can't please my kids, can't please my boss, can't please my pastor, can't please my church, can't please, you know, you go and fill in those blanks. Whoever it is, just let's honestly admit, you can't please everyone, right? That's why we have an audience of one. 
Am I saved by God's grace so I can be sanctified by my efforts? No. I'm saved by God's grace. I'm sanctified by His Spirit, not my efforts. I can't make others happy, and I can't save my own life, so it's Jesus living in me and through me. See, I, I've won. You've won. Let me hear you say we won. But we're not done. Thanks to Jesus living in us, we can now go live the way Jesus wants us to live that honors him. It's hard for me to feel victorious at times, to make the right decisions, do the right things, because so many times, guess what? I forget the promises of God's truth. I forgot all the victory statements, all the wonderful promises in here that keep me going. Because they're promises from a God who doesn't break promises. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Let me ask you this. What do you struggle with, okay? A lot of things, right? Here's a key thing that a lot of us struggle with. It's the things we don't know, the uncertainties of life. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? I don't know when it's going to happen. Then we sort of get all pent up about that and anxious about that, right? If I knew what was going to happen and when it's going to happen, I'd be okay, right? Maybe. But what does God say about the future of his people? Now, when he wrote this, this was going to the people of um, Israel coming back from being exiled, okay? And Isaiah tells us that in the end, we won't fail. Why is that? Listen, it goes the word weapon here. Let me read this again to you. But in that day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. That word weapon was actually mean like it could be a weapon, like a sword, but also meant a tool, like a shovel. Any weapon formed against you will not succeed, God says. People can use their phones and use that as a weapon against you. I'm going to text this about that person. I'm going to say this about that. A phone can be used as a weapon. And not just a phone, but your words. Money can be used. Anything can be used with evil intent to hurt or to do something. And God says this, no weapon formed against you will ever succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. This is a promise to the future Israel, and I believe this promise belongs to us as well. Why is this? Because God fights for us. No weapon formed against you will prosper or succeed. Listen, it may win the battle for the moment, but it does not win the war. We will fight many battles throughout life. We will win some, lose some, but in the end, guess what? We win. Let me hear you say we win. Anybody read the book of Revelation yet? Who wins in the end? We do. Isn't that awesome? There are times we're going to be ridiculed because of our faith. Some of you high schoolers right now, you do things like I never did. I, I, in high school, I didn't have FCA. I didn't have uh, Youth for Christ. I didn't have Bible studies. I didn't wear shirts that had Jesus on it. I didn't go around telling people, hey, come to this great event. We're going to pray around a flagpole. We didn't do that. Some of you do that now, and you probably get ridiculed. Christian boy, Christian girl. You get called names maybe, Right? What does God's word say? You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. Keep trusting, keep believing, keep acting in faith regardless of what others say about you. That voice will someday be silenced. I heard about a 12-year-old boy. Uh, he became a Christian during a special event, sort of like, you know, like the event you're going to see tonight. Okay? The next week at school, his friends questioned him. They said this, did you see a vision? 
Did you hear God speak? You know, kids are sort of rubbing it in. They were sort of curious, but they were also sort of harassing him too, okay? And he really didn't know how to answer them. He had no answers to all these questions. And one kid said, how do you know you're saved, you know? And then he came up with an answer that was awesome. He said, it's like when you're fishing and you catch a fish on the line. I can't see that fish. I can't hear that fish. But I can feel a tug on the line. I know he's there. I didn't see God and I didn't hear his voice. But he's tugged on my heart. I know he's there. That's a great answer from a 12-year-old. Amen. Romans 16, 20 says this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Let me hear you say soon. soon. When is soon? I don't know. But Paul said the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Not my feet. Not just the pastor's feet. But the people of God. I don't know. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. That's a promise from God. My momentary afflictions stink, but someday, sometime soon, Satan's going to get crushed underneath my feet. Did you ever step on a pop can and just crush them, crush them? Before, the, you know, they had the little crushed things, you crush pop cans. Before all that, I'd sit out there and crush, you know, crush all these cans to take to the recycling center so I can get money for them, that kind of thing. Did you ever do that before? Something powerful about crushing a can, you know, even kick a can, crush a can. Makes you feel good, right? Maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys are all kicking something else. I don't know. That feeling the same way spiritually. Soon the God of peace who lives in you will crush Satan under your feet. Promise. The enemy of our souls who wants to defeat you and destroy you will soon be defeated. What an incredible feeling. God wins again. If you don't trust me, read Revelation. Okay? We win. We're victorious first because Jesus Christ defeated sin and death. We're victorious next because we place our faith at the stool, believing in Jesus Christ. We're not done, so we're going to continue to be victorious because we're going to grab God's promises, which are true. And we're going to take those promises, knowing that Jesus Christ lives in you, and we're going to go face that affliction, that pain, that uncertainty with an attitude of crushing because God's powerful. Amen? I heard something the other day, and I'm going to sort of wrap it up with this. I heard something the other day, and I didn't really know how to respond to this. So you tell me how you would respond. Jesus Christ is your assistant coach. We'll just stop and think about that for a second. What would, how would you say that, okay? Because I had two sides of this. It was like flipping a coin. I can go either way on this one. I'll tell you my first thought. My first thought was, no, he's not. He's my head coach, right? Sort of like... God's my co-pilot. No, no, he's my pilot, right? I thought about that for a second. That was my first thought. I thought it sounded sacrilegious because I thought he should be my head coach. But I thought about it again. In reality, who's making the calls? I am, right? I'm, I'm still responsible for what comes out of my mouth. I'm responsible for what I do with my hands. I'm responsible for my feet take me. I'm responsible, okay? So I'm sort of making the calls. I'm, I'm like the head coach, and I understand as I've coached through the years, as a, as a head coach, my assistant coach looks for things that I'm not seeing and informs me of things that I don't see and encourages me on the calls that I'm making. And sometimes when I don't know, I look at my assistant coach and say, what do you think? And they help me. I've been in both shoes. I've been an assistant coach and I've been a varsity coach. And I thought about that for a while and I thought, you know what? 
I think I could be okay with that. Jesus is my assistant coach because I look at it like this. I'm responsible for everything I say and do, but you know what? Sometimes I'm not going to move forward without that help. What do you think? Okay. I hear that all the time, right? What do you think? Okay. Now I'm going to go do it, right? I still have to be responsible for all that. He's there to encourage me, to direct me, to tell me. And he goes with me. But he still allows me to make the call. When I mess up, he lets me know. I look at my assistant coach and it's like, that was bad, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's that way with Jesus, too. I was reading Ecclesiastes, and when, the, when you read this book, do me a favor. Read the study notes, read it as a whole. Don't just pick and choose out Ecclesiastes. Read it as a whole. And when you get to the end, chapter 12, you're going to read these last couple of verses. Fear God, obey His commandments, for this is everyone's duty. And God will judge us for everything we do, including our every secret thing, whether good or bad. Ooh. See, we always catch that first part. You know, the wisest words of Solomon, wisest man on this earth, final words, he says this. Fear God, obey His commands, but don't miss that last part. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, good or bad. Everything. Look at the person next to you and say everything. Ooh, did that give anybody like, ooh, everything? Look at them again. Tell them everything because they didn't believe you. I, I, when I was doing my devotion, my quiet time, and I was reading this, I stopped. And I thought about that passage. And I imagined Jesus sitting in the back of my head. And anything I watch on TV, anything I look at on the computer, Jesus is seeing the same screen. And anything I say, he's, he hears it. And anything I'm listening to, he's hearing it. And anywhere I go, Jesus is like right there walking with me. And I was sort of thinking this, and then I was looking at that scripture again. It's like, no secret thing. He sees everything. Why is that? Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is with me. Right? Let that sink in. And again, not to scare you, but to help you. Because when I, when I it hit me again, again, how old am I? 40-something. And then I'm sitting there, it's like, didn't I know this 20 years ago? Yes. But sometimes God reminds me of things that I need to deal with. Jesus is with me. He's with you. You know, grandfather found his grandson jumping up and down in his playpen, and he looked at him, and he's like, he was, oh, he was crying. He was upset. And, you know, the grandfather looked at the little boy, and he saw his chubby little hands, like, reaching out, Papa up, Papa up, you know, and he's crying in that. And the grandpa looked at him. He's like, oh, come here. You know, he went over to get him. Mom stepped in real quick, okay? Mom comes over, ah, no, no. He's in timeout right now. He's being disciplined right now. He needs to stay in there, right? Law versus love is happening right now, right? Okay? So Grandpa just sits there and I wanna, I'm going to honor that, okay? But looks at the little kid just crying, Papa, oh, Papa, you know, just crying. And what Grandpa do? Climbed in the playpen with him. And it was a cool thing, you know. He was at a loss what to do, and he thought about it. You know, he thought, it's the law versus love, but I'm going to find a way. I'm going to crawl in with you in the midst of your pain and your frustration. I'm not going to take you out of it. I'm just going to crawl in there with you. That's what God does with us. In the midst of your pain and your frustration, we reach out. God, come on, please. God says, 
I'm just going to come down with you. I'm not crawling down to you. I'm running to you. And God runs into our lives and says, I'm with you so that you can be victorious, so that you can crush Satan under your feet, so that you can walk around with your head lifted high and stop moping and whining like a lot of Christians do because you are victorious in Christ. Amen? Amen? Would you please stand? Our life is now a demonstration. Our life is now a demonstration of the living Jesus Christ. So as we walk, as we talk, as we sing, as we converse with others, wherever we go and eat and whatever it may be, Jesus is with you. As a believer in Christ, Jesus is with you. I just pray that encourages you today. We've won, but we're not done. And as you are not done, Jesus is with you as you go every step of the way. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome and mighty God. I thank you, Lord, for your words. I thank you for your promises, for your truth. And in Scripture, we find all this. I love it. You don't hide it from us. It's right there. We just got to take the initiative and read it. And as we read it, your spirit starts talking to us and say, hey, do you hear this? Do you hear this? Your words are clear, God. When we believe, when we place our faith in you, your spirit resides in us. You are with us. You see all that we see. You hear what we hear. You partake in what we partake in. And yet you love us. Lord, let us take that truth, not to scare us, but to excite us, to help us go out and be the church, to be that Christian you've called us to be, to be victorious, to crush Satan under our feet. God, thank you for running to us, for sending Jesus Christ into our, our world, our, our playpen, so to say, and to embrace us, to meet us where we're at. You don't pull us out of our misery sometimes. You just join us there to remember we're not alone. You are with us good and bad. So we celebrate, we celebrate with you. We cry, we cry with you. We sing, we sing with you. God, right now as we worship and close in this last song, Lord, just again, continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's something we need to deal with, let's deal with it right now. If there's something we need to pray while we're doing this last song, and then we're going to pray to you. If we need to sing louder, we'll sing louder. Whatever it is, Lord, so keep working on our hearts as we sing. In our name we pray. Amen.